So we are moving through the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, We're in Revelation 3 now, uh, 1 through 6. Revelation 3, you'll find the words behind me on the screen in front of you, if you've got it with you. Uh, Before we read, let's pray together. God, once again, we open your word and uh, and we just ask that you would that you would speak. We ask that your voice would be the voice that we hear this morning. Thank you, Spirit, for your presence. Open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation 3, starting at verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Pay attention. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We'll go that far. So, lots in there. Wake up. Alive, but dead. I will come like a thief. You're not going to know when, how that's going to look. But there's some people who who have not soiled their clothes, their robes, their clothes. They're they're good. What is all this? The names in a book? Lots to go over. Um, But first, to the angel of the church in Sardis. Right. So we've got another place, another location, another Another city, uh, this time is Sardis. We've been asking ourselves the question, is there anything that we might know about Sardis or should we know about Sardis that would help us sort of understand uh, what those images in the letter are like? So here's a little bit uh, of the story of Sardis. Sardis was a city that had two levels to it. So there was this lower level of the city that was built down in the valley. This was the place where were sort of normal, everyday people lived and work, everyday, everyday citizens like, like us. We would be living down in the valley of Sardis. And then there was this upper part of the city that was built on a mountain about 1,500 feet above the, the valley floor. Uh, so we got these two levels here. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Sardis was one of the first places where people apparently learned how to, how to spin yarn, spin wool into yarn and make clothes. Uh, it was one of the first places where they learned how to mint coins. So it was this place of, 
uh, well, we don't think of it as great innovation and technological advance today, but back then, in its day, it was known for its, its great innovation and its technological advances and its uh, productivity. It was able to produce things, right? So as a result, it became a, an extremely wealthy city. So it's a wealthy place. Now, Centuries before this letter was written, gold was discovered there, which also contributed uh, to its wealth, right? So there was this famous king named Croesus who had captured the city, discovered the gold, and became the richest person, we think, in the world at the time. So Sardis was a place that had this reputation. It was known as a place of innovation. It was a large economic center within the ancient world, and it was wealthy, it also had a strong military because what happens when you become a wealthy place? You have to protect that wealth. So you have to build up a, a strong military presence in order to protect that wealth. It was also, get this, it was a city that was considered to be unconquerable. So this city had the reputation of being unconquerable. So picture this, if you can. On the top of this 1,500-foot foot mountain, uh, you had these unbelievably steep cliffs, and on top of the mountain, you had, a, you had a city that was surrounded by a high wall to fortify the city, adding to its protection. So you've got this, you've got the high ground, you've got steep cliffs, you've got walls, heavily fortified, like you're not going to take this city, so it's considered to be unconquerable. <laughs> Anytime you call yourself unconquerable, guess what's probably going to happen at some point? So, in the mid-500s BC, Cyrus, the Persian, came to conquer the city. And this was a city that could not be conquered. So, he had his soldiers scout the city for places for places of weakness. So they were looking for a way in. They were wanting to figure out, how do we conquer this city? So they were back, they were scouting, they were looking for it at a distance. So one day, one of Croesus's soldiers was at the wall, and we don't know what happened. Maybe he fell asleep, and his helmet came off, and it went off of the wall and slid all the way down that steep 1,500-foot cliff, right? Then they were watching and they saw him emerge from the wall and came down, and suddenly there he was at the bottom. He picks up his helmet, because when you lose your helmet, you have to go retrieve the helmet. And then they watched him go back up, and the, 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 the Cyrus, his armies, were watching all this, and they're like, oh, there must be this secret path that you can't see, that we didn't know about, to get in and out of the city. So they went. They scouted it out. They found the secret path. They followed it up to the wall, and they attacked the city, and they took it because some dude fell asleep and lost his helmet and had to go retrieve it. It's kind of a funny story. So they attacked it. The, the city that is unconquerable got conquered. Similar thing happened several hundred years later. So when they had carcasses of animals that had died, you can't just keep them within the walls of the, of the city. Right? They would dump them over to this side of the wall to get rid of them. It smells, because that's what happens. Or when they had prisoners that had been executed, they would put them over the side of the wall. They had these, it's, I know it's sad, 
So they had these vultures that would circle this part of the wall of the city because vultures are looking to do vulture things um, and there are dead carcasses down there. So normally these vultures would circle because they wanted a meal. Where Here's, here's what happened. There was another army that was scouting uh, Sardis looking for a weakness when they realized that the vultures were no longer circling. They were perched on the side of the wall. And they figured out, oh, the vultures are perched there that must be a part of the wall that isn't being guarded because if there were soldiers on the other side of the wall, the vultures would be afraid and they would be somewhere else. So they attacked that part of the city and guess what happened again? Sardis was taken. So when it comes to Sardis in the ancient world, we have a city that had become sort of at a couple of times in its history, it had become we might think of as complacent. We had a, a city that was confident. We had a city that was, that was full of itself because it was unconquerable. It was not going to be taken. It was so sure that it couldn't be conquered that twice it was essentially caught sleeping. So now let's read through the letter again and see if that brings out a little something, brings a little more sizzle, see if anything pops. So to the angel in the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive and strong, and yet you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Isn't that interesting? So again, we have Jesus standing among, but also outside the seven lampstands, which are the seven churches, speaking a word, strong words against these churches. And to the church in Sardis, Jesus essentially says this, wake up, wake up. You've become complacent. You are not paying attention. You have fallen asleep. Wake up, wake up. Oh my goodness, is this, this is something that we could probably hear often. Wake up wake up. Because sometimes we have a tendency to get involved in things that, that seem harmless, that seem not a big deal, that eventually turn into something bigger, turn into something that might, might actually be destructive. How many of us regularly ask ourselves the question, am I, am I flirting with anything that, that seems inconsequential, that seems little, but might actually one day one day be very harmful might lead to destruction wake up jesus says wake up this is essentially a an invitation to to self-examination to look inward to look at our own hearts to look inside and see what might be there not long ago 
Progressive did a study, and the result of this study found out that 52% of all accidents happen within five miles of our own homes. Have you heard this before? Within five miles of our own homes, that's normally when accidents, we get into accidents. Why? Well, it's because we know the roads. It's because we're, we're so familiar. We don't have to think about where we're going. We don't pay close enough attention. So we come complacent. I've backed out of my driveway a hundred times before. There's never anybody driving by. And that one or two or three times, that time we don't check, we back out of our driveway and boom, cause an accident. Or we sideswipe a car because we're not paying attention. Oh my goodness, there's someone jogging right there. It's just, you know, we're really close to home. I can quick send this one text. I'm almost there. I'll be able to help or I'm going to be there in two minutes and just wake up. Wake up. Pay attention. Right? Sometimes, it's a, sometimes it's a behavior that turns into a bad habit that then, that then turns into addiction that, that destroys relationships and tears families apart. Sometimes it's an attitude we have toward a neighbor or toward a, a coworker or a classmate, or a whole entire group of people. It starts out small, almost like a seed, and it seems harmless. But then if we water that seed, it becomes destructive. Are there any hmm, harmless, sexist, or racist jokes out there? Are there any? No, none of them are, are harmless. It's like, it's like water on a seed, and an attitude of racism or sexism turns, it begins to grow in our hearts. It begins to, to grow in our circle of friends. It begins to grow in our communities. Or, or even worse, it spreads really badly and quickly on social media. And it begins to, to affect the way that we think about and treat other people. Because when we perpetuate stereotypes, no, none of us ever does this. When we perpetuate stereotypes of people who hold different political views than we do, or hold different religious views than we do, or that hold different political views than we do, without ever really getting to know them in order to understand them, in order to really listen, what does that do? It creates greater division. It widens those gaps, and we haven't experienced anything like this before, especially over the last five, six, seven years. Like, this is something that's totally foreign to us, right? This is what happens. This is what we're living into. And this is, it's worse than I ever remember it. Is there anyone who feels like, man, I really need to look inside? I really need to, I really need to examine what's in here. There's a part of me that, that, just, that just needs to wake up, that needs to, to pay attention, that maybe needs to repent, to turn around, to go in the opposite direction, to remember the things that you were given before, as Jesus says. So next, in Sardis, it's one of those places where they... They worship the mother goddess Sibylle. Uh, and if you go to the city of Sardis today, you'll find uh, a big open-air temple uh, with a, a massive altar built to the worship of the mother goddess Sibylle. 
Right? So, so she, she was believed to be the goddess of procreation, the goddess of multiplying things, the goddess of, of fertility, anything that had to do with, with producing, with production, with productivity. And because uh, Sibylle was the mother goddess, one of the highest forms of worship was to, uh, was to celebrate uh, the feminine. So there's, this, there's evidence that there were these large, large processionals where people would dress in robes and they would cut themselves in order to bleed to honor Sibylle. I don't know where this comes from. This was the practice. So these religious ceremonies were a way for people to say, so you cut yourself, you bleed. This was a way for you to communicate to the mother goddess Sibylle. I don't just give you some things. I give you my very essence. I give you my whole entire life. So this would be a bloody ceremony. This would get, if you were wearing a robe in this ceremony, it would get, it would get dirty. It would get bloody. It would get what we might think of as soiled. It would get gross. So this was one of the things that was happening with the worship of the goddess Sibylle. Also, Sardis was a place where they held what were called the royal archives. So as a leading administrative leader in the, in the Roman Empire, there were actual books there that contained the names of people who were considered to be good citizens. So if you committed some crime against the empire, they would actually take your name out of the book. They would blot out your name in the book. So you were no longer considered a good citizen. You would no longer have favor within the eyes of the Roman empire. They would blot out your name from the book. So you have that going on. Verse four, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name from the book of life, but will, be, but will acknowledge their name forever before my Father and his angels. Whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So life in Sardis was tough. You had these profound, intense pressures right, coming from all over the place to do and become what Rome says you ought to do and become and be. So we have Sibylle worship. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, I've been watching you, and I know it's hard. But there are some among you who have remained strong. You haven't given in. You haven't soiled your clothes. You will walk with me dressed in white, which is generally a symbol for victory. And I will never, ever, ever blot out your name. You will always belong to me. I will always be with you. So imagine living in Sardis. You have all of these things, these pressures coming at you every day. Imagine the intense pressure to do and become what Rome says you should do. Maybe you're just weary of resisting. Maybe you're just tired of it all. And then you get this word that there are a few among you who haven't soiled their clothes, who haven't given in. Jesus says, essentially, there are some people around you. They've remained strong. 
who have remained faithful, who haven't given in. You can do it. You can do it. You can hang in there. You can be strong. You're not alone. So here's what I think this, this says to us. Imagine that. I think this is telling us that we just need each other really badly. Have you ever been a place where you've said to yourself, am I the only one? Am I the only one who's struggling with what I'm struggling with? Am, am I the only one? Does anyone else doubt like I doubt? Does anyone else have the kinds of questions that I have? How can anyone get through this? Maybe this faith thing is just not working out for me anymore. Have you ever had those feelings and you feel like you're all alone? And Friends, you're surrounded by people who've likely been there, who've been through that, and they've made it. They've stayed strong. They've remained faithful. Lean into each other. We're all in this together. Have you heard of this thing called Hilton Magic? Have you heard of Hilton Magic before? Yeah, of course you have. Okay, now, most of you know I grew up a Hawkeye fan. I'm still a Hawkeye fan. I'm sorry, okay? But I've lived here for a decade or more, and I've learned to, I, I like the Cyclones. I'm cool. It's cool. So this is high praise coming from a Hawkeye fan. Hilton Magic gets real deal. How many times have we watched the Cyclones come back from being down deep in the first half and win a game in the second half. Like, I remember a certain game when Joe Wieskamp went off for the Hawkeyes in the first half. Iowa was up 20. They lost by like 10 points, all because of Hilton Magic. You know what I'm talking about. There's this one game. I don't remember who the Cyclones were playing, but it was on like Channel 5. It was like the big, it was, it was on ABC. It was the big game of the weekend. Brett Musburger was was announcing the game, and the Cyclones were getting slammed. They were down by like 20, 21 points at halftime, and Brent Musburger, you know, very dramatically was like, where has the magic gone? Like, we still talk about this at our house. When the Cyclones are down, we're all like, where has the magic gone? It's so dramatic. Then they come out, second half, they hit a few shots, and the crowd gets into it. And it gets louder and louder, and then it gets raucous, and they start, they start making a few more shots and making some defensive stops, and the crowd gets nuts, and it's insane, and you can't hear a thing, and they come back. How many times have we watched that happen in Hilton? That's the power of the crowd coming alongside of, getting behind, putting wind in their sails, and the team just goes nuts, and they come back, and they get buoyed, and they win. How many times have we seen that? That's the power of people coming alongside of you. Friends, we've been given a gift. And it's a very powerful, life-giving gift. We've been given the gift of people. We've been given the gift of community. We've been given the gift of relationships. Jesus says, I know life stinks. I know life is really hard. I know you have all sorts of pressures for you to become someone and something you're not. But you have people among you who have not soiled their clothes. 
You have people among you who have been through it. You have people among you who have stayed faithful, who've come through on the other side. Lean into them. You're surrounded by people who can and will help you. This is the place where we find that. This is the place where, where we bring all of our struggles. This is the place where we bring all of our fears. This is the place where we bring all of our doubts, all of our questions, because we know we're surrounded by people where it's okay to bring those things. And it's likely that others have those same questions and fears and doubts, and we can do this together. We can do it together. The first few months of this year, we did those new perspectives classes. We did those new perspectives. We listened to new perspectives. We listened to, to podcasts. And we came in here together and we sat in a circle and people were vulnerable. People were talking about how hard life is and how hard it is to wrap our minds. And we came around each other and we accepted one another and we loved one another and we worked through these things together. And it was the most vulnerable and special, some of the most special times that we've experienced together as a community because we just did it together and we said, we're all welcome here. Let's do it together. This is the place where we can do those things. This is the place where we can have hard conversations. This is the place where we can remain in the love of Jesus, which was given to us at the beginning. That is the thing that we lean into and we hold fast to. So if you're struggling with, somebody, with something, talk to somebody about it. Make a phone call. If you're having questions about anything, lean into somebody. Ask somebody. And if you don't feel like you have those types of relationships around here, that's okay because sometimes those relationships take, take a while to, to build, take a while to, to trust. Sometimes it takes time. So be vulnerable, reach out, ask for help. We don't like to ask for help, but this is the place where we find it because this is the place we're surrounded by people who've been through it. So let's continue to foster that kind of environment built on the love that was given to us at the beginning. You can do it. You can do it. We can do it because we have each other. Let's pray.